Greetings and welcome to this episode of the Black Madonna Speaks with me, your host, Stephanie Georgiev. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to my Patreon supporters. Our community is growing, and I'm so grateful to you all for your multi-level support. I also wanted to let everyone know we have space available for the In Search of Sacred Origins tour to Namibia in September. If you would like to participate in this once-in-a-lifetime event, there's another link in the program notes for a detailed itinerary and booking form. Airfare is way down right now, and it's a great time to book your flight. If you want to join us, I encourage you to start the process soon. I'm including a link in the program notes for a promotional video that gives a more animated description for the tour with leader Sarnia Guiton. My Patreon supporters who cannot attend this event will be getting transcripts, copies of slides, as well as recordings of the talks. Sorry, we can't reproduce the safari aspect of this trip's exploration of the deserts and coasts of Namibia online. So if you're desperate to experience these things, you'll have to come in person, and you're ever so welcome to do so. At the time of this airing, we're at the end of the month of May, which is considered the month of the Virgin Mary. Mary is such a pivotal figure in the development of the Christian impulse, as well as the movement in general. We moderns often do not appreciate just how radical the entire Christ event was. As most of us moderns, whether or not we are Christian, are familiar with the personalities involved in the Gospels, the basic tenets of Christianity, and the essential history. Back in the day, when one had to order cassette tapes from various sources to experience seminars and such, I remember a wonderful course I listened to by Tessa Bielecki. Her reflections uh, in a course, which I think you can still get on places like eBay, etc. And and the book, I think, is still available that way, uh, used. I don't think it's currently in publication, but it's called The Bridal Mystics, and it looks at Teresa of Avila, amongst other people. Anyways, her reflections on one of the first meetings of the risen Christ with the apostles after the resurrection, which the resurrection is which she likened to a nuclear explosion. Christ was on the beach grilling fish and invited the men to breakfast. And this was according to a narrative of one of the first interactions with the risen Christ and the apostles. And this momentum meeting involved breakfast. I've always loved this image because it combines the radical cosmos changing event of the deed of Christ along with something as mundane as a picnic breakfast on the beach. This image also illustrates the difficulty humanity had with the entire Christ impulse, meaning how could a God be a human and vice versa? In the first centuries after the Christ event, bitter, I mean knock down, drag out fights and even wars were fought over the nature of Christ, 
What exactly happened that first Easter and afterwards were the subjects of endless conflicts and debates, resulting in schisms, heresies, and you name it. These notions were also wrapped up in establishing the Christian movement, which also morphed into an institutional church. In the midst of all the arguments over dogma, meaning, and membership, the Virgin Mary was in the thick of it all, with many discussions on her nature, her origins, and her place within the church hierarchy. The Black Madonna we will be exploring in this episode is a wonderful example of the complex, tumultuous history of Christianity and how it intermingles with all the various political, religious, and economic factors leading up to our current experience. While some would argue, quite reasonably actually, that the history of the organized church is a reason to dismiss Christianity as an agent of oppression, I would counter that it is actually a miracle anything wonderful and healing got through all the muck and power struggles humans threw into the mix, so to speak, during the evolution of the movement. The Black Madonna, I believe, is one of those miracles. Our Lady of Miracles, or as she is known in her hometown of Orléans, France, Notre-Dame des Miracles, is a stone carving based on a wooden image of a Syrian Black Madonna from the 5th century. The history of Christianity in Syria is actually quite influential in terms of the early Christian communities. Syria has also been deeply involved in the evolution and acceptance of religious art within the Christian movement. The Apostle Paul received his famous conversion on the road to Damascus in the first century after Golgotha. At that time, Paul was known as Saul, and he was on his way to watch some executions of Christians when he was struck down by a blinding light. The rest is, as we say, history. What I have come to appreciate about Paul is that he witnessed Christ in the etheric. Our task now, actually, is to witness Christ in the etheric. And his ministry was all about the next phase of the Christ impulse after the event on Golgotha. This task was making a community on earth in order to be a receptacle for the Christ. One of Paul's first Christian converts was our friend Dionysius the Eripagite, and I'm sure you have heard me mention this person many, many times. His conversion happened in Athens, Greece, at the Eripagite. For those of you who are not familiar with this term, the Eripagite was where entertainment happened in ancient Greece. It was a public forum for debating philosophy. I think this is a marvelous idea to have public philosophy debates as entertainments, don't you? where both sides of an issue are debated respectfully and everyone gets to hear both sides. 
instead of this echo chamber or screaming matches that pass for public discourse on important issues we are currently witnessing. In the debate recounted in the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 1734, Dionysius was to represent the pagan side and Paul the Christian side. Since Paul was trained as a Sadducee, Paul's debating techniques, personal experience, and passion convinced Dionysius of the value and validity of the Christ impulse. Dionysius went on to be the first theologian of Christianity, writing many treatises that have helped shape our belief and theology, from our understanding of the angelic hierarchies to divine darkness, which obviously is quite important to the concept of the Black Madonna. Dionysius founded several monasteries and created an entire order of monks. These monks were very instrumental in spreading the Gospels in the early centuries of Christendom, mainly through translation and copying of sacred scriptures and texts. And all of this was based in Syria. Another interesting legacy of Syria, which also relates to our beloved Black Madonnas, is St. John's of Damascus. And he lived between 675 or 676, depending on who you believe in terms of the date of his birth, until 749. St. John of Damascus was the one who essentially settled the issue of iconoclasm. Iconoclasm is the practice of banning icons and religious art in the public as well as religious settings. And this was started by uh, Emperor of Byzantium, Leo the something or other. And these, he basically saw that the Muslim armies were being quite effective in conquering Christian lands and could not understand, since they had a, a piece of the original cross that they would carry with them into battle, and they also had Jesus on their side, why were they losing to these infidels? And they realized the major difference was the Muslims didn't have images. So removing Christian art in uh, Byzantium, uh, the Eastern Roman Empire, was basically done as a military tactic, which I find interesting. So iconoclasm or removing icons and religious art as a, a technique to please God so that they could start winning wars, this was causing great chaos in the Eastern Church, particularly in Constantinople, where riots were ensuing when icons were removed and monasteries were being split up and people were being exiled. It's really, it was really a dramatic thing. And uh, St. John of Damascus undertook a spirited defense of holy images in three separate publications. The earliest of these works, his apologetic treatises against those decrying the holy images, this secured his reputation. 
And he not only attacked the Byzantine emperor who removed the icons, but adopted a simplified style of argument that allowed the controversy to be followed by the common people. And he was so effective in doing this, it stirred rebellion amongst the iconoclasts and iconophiles. Now, decades after his death, John's writings would play an important role during the Second Council of Nicaea, which happened in 787. And this is also known as the Seventh Ecumenical Council, which was convened to settle the icon dispute. John's argument of the day that saved art and brought icons back to the public as well as the Eastern Church was that Christ took on a physical body. Therefore, all of matter, all of earthly matter, is on the way to becoming divinized. If Christ thought enough of physical matter to inhabit a physical body, then art was also inhabited by divinity. And therefore, icons and images in the church were, as we would moderns say, okay. I highly recommend the book Women in Purple, Rulers of Medieval Byzantium by noted historian Judith Heron for a very interesting and complete discussion of the entire iconoclasm kerfuffle and how three generations of empresses, note empresses, not emperors, brought back the icons. But the scholarly basis that won the day at the Seventh Ecumenical Council was our dear John of Damascus, noted Syrian Christian. It seems that the region of Syria has been quite the area of strife throughout history. Some of the oldest uh, Christian communities on earth come from Syria. And certain modern Syrian Christian communities actually still speak in Aramaic, the ancient form of Hebrew that Jesus spoke. Now, because of this region and all the amazing battles that have happened here for many, many centuries. Um, This has always been a region of sectarian violence, particularly religious violence. But on a positive note, Syrians have also always been involved in international trade and commerce. And religious historians and scholars date the arrival of Syrian immigrants to the region of Orléans, in France during the 4th through the 6th centuries. While Orléans is in the center of France, it's also on the Loire River. From the times of antiquity, this region in France has been a center for trade and commerce, and notably in the wine trade, which I, I find really fun. Now, due to the nature of the center of trade, this region attracted merchants from Syria, and they set up a community outside Orléans called Avenum 
in the 6th century. Now, these Syrians were Christians and brought with them a statue of a Madonna and child that was carved from black wood. In later centuries, many Syrians escaped this region from the Islamic incursions into Syria. And the French Syrian community thrived until about the 7th century. As France was also quite appealing to the Vikings, their raids started in earnest throughout the country, particularly along the waterways and coasts. And that was usually, that was actually in the 7th and 8th centuries. Anyone watching the cable program, The Vikings, ironically on the History Channel, can see a very embellished and dramatic version of how these pirates, which is really what the Vikings were, they settled in France. Our first miracle with Our Lady of Miracles happened during a fierce Viking attack on Avenim. This miracle occurred during what are called the Norman incursions of France, starting in the mid-1800s, excuse me, 800s. And Norman is what Europe started calling the Vikings because that was a, a mixture of the word of Norse, North, and men. So you had Norman, but Norman's were Vikings, and the Vikings were pirates. So their first incursions into France started in the mid-800s, as Orléans and also Avenum was on the Loire River. The Vikings, which were very successful in their pirating activity because they had those long boats that they would you know, paddle along various waterways. And then when they ran out of waterways, they could pick up the boats and carry them on their shoulders. It's a very good battle technique. So anyways, the Vikings saw this uh, city and town as easy pickings because it was on, the, on a river. Villages outside of Orléans were the first to succumb to these raids. Now, the people of Avenum were terrified of the possibilities because news spread rather fast during those days of what was happening. And the good Syrian Christians of Avenum flocked to the church where Our Lady was housed and they prayed fervently for deliverance. They trusted this image so much to protect them that they took her and placed her above the village gates for protection. The keeper of the gates of Avenum hid behind the Madonna and was shooting arrows at the invaders. Eventually, one of the Vikings spotted the shooter and yelled, You won't be able to avoid death and that image won't defend you unless you come down right now and open up the gate. After shouting the insult, the Viking shot an arrow at the gatekeeper. In the grand tradition of Black Madonnas at gates during sieges, the statue came alive and extended a knee, which blocked the arrow from killing the gatekeeper. The Vikings witnessed this miracle in awe and realized that they were in essence out-arrowed. According to legend, 
these pagans realized the Holy Mother was defending and fighting for the inhabitants of Avenum. They threw their arms down and asked for peace, which was gladly and immediately granted. The relieved villagers of Avenum returned the Black Madonna with the arrow embedded in her knee to her chapel. The Vikings, a.k.a. Normans, offered the image presents and promised never again to hurt anybody from her village. The arrow remained in her knee for many centuries as her fame kept spreading, attracting pilgrims and those seeking miracles for various issues. The next time we hear about Our Lady of Miracles is during the Hundred Years' War. Joan of Arc had received official recognition from the Dauphin, who had yet to be crowned King of France at the time. One of the last strongholds of the French against the English, who made the Vikings look friendly and peaceful, was Orléans. During the time of Joan of Arc, Orléans was under siege by the English, and there seemed to be a stalemate that would probably end in the people of Orléans being starved to death and the English taking over all of France. Joan of Arc knew of a secret passageway into Orléans and went to this black Madonna and prayed for a miracle. The date of this visit is recognized as the 8th of May, 1429. As we know, Joan led a successful counteroffensive on that day and won freedom for Orléans. There's a beautiful image of Joan praying to the Madonna in front of the modern church, which houses the modern image. Orléans was the capital of the Kingdom of France during the Merivognian period, and as we just discussed, played an important role in the Hundred Years' War. The universities of Orléans early acquired great prestige. In the 6th century, Gontran, king of Burgundy, had his son Gondebaum educated at Orléans. Later, Charlemagne and Hugh Capet both sent their eldest sons there to be educated. These institutions were at the height of their fame from the 11th century through the middle of the 13th. During the Renaissance, the city's prestigious university attracted many humanists, such as Erasmus, who promoted Latin and Greek culture and new ideas among the urban elite. At the same time, German students brought Martin Luther's 90-point thesis to Orléans, where they were received enthusiastically. By the mid-16th century, Orléans was a key city for the Reformation in France. The failure of the Estates General, which was a legislative and consultative assembly of different classes of French subjects, this uh, Estates General was held in Orléans in 1560 through 1561. Now, during this time and this assembly, King Francis II of France died, and this marked the start of a civil war. Orléans suffered greatly during the French Wars of Religion, 
Again, for an entertaining rendition of this period of history, The Serpent Queen, which is about Catherine of Medici, and this is another cable series, is really worth watching. If you keep in mind, there is much artistic license in the production, but the basic story is correct and worth watching if you want to understand this period of history. And again, a woman was regent at this time because France, Francis II died with a very young son. So Catherine took over. And it's a very, very interesting story. But in any case, the French, who seemed to have quite a taste for violent revolutions, took the wars of religion quite seriously. The Chapel of Our Lady of Miracles uh, and the original Syrian Black Madonna were burned as a way for the Huguenots to inspire people to see their enlightened approach to Christianity. In 1562, when the Huguenot soldiers torched everything, a truce was uh, achieved and a new statue was commissioned. This time, the Virgin was resculpted in stone so she could not be burnt again. The work was completed by a local artist who remembered the original image, but instead of the standard holy wisdom medieval style of Mary seated on a throne holding the infant Jesus, this image was carved to be standing. And in remembrance of her knee, which caught the arrow, the new image has a knee extended through her robes. Personally, I would have included the arrow, but that's just me. And to my knowledge, I don't know if there are any artistic renditions of the original statue showing the arrow in her knee, but, you know, that's me. Uh, if anybody knows of that, let me know, because I re would really like to see that. Now, since there were no Templars about at this time, it took over a century to rebuild the church, but thankfully it didn't take that long to finish the statue. It seems that the artist knew his population well, and it was a good thing that the new statue was made of stone. A couple centuries later, Our Lady of the Miracles was in danger again, which during another enlightened era of the French people called the French Revolution, a sympathizer was ordered to destroy the statue. Because she's in stone, the usual burning at the stake would simply not do for these people who wanted to enforce their idea of freedom and equality by destroying art on the rest of the citizens at the time. The man charged with destruction of this image was a metal worker who tried to beat the image with various hammers and tongs and other tools of blacksmithing. He only did relatively little damage in spite of repeatedly striking the image with various tools. He could not break the Madonna apart. Her left thumb was mutilated, the feet of the baby Jesus were also scarred, and her robes were damaged a little, but that's all he could do. The metal worker gave up and contented himself with stealing the virgin's mantle, as he was a very enlightened individual. So we have another case of a black Madonna surviving vandalism. Yet another interesting miracle happened during World War II. The Church of St. Paul, where the image was housed, as well as the entire neighborhood surrounding the church, 
They were completely destroyed during Nazi bombing of the city. Our Lady of Miracles had, and still has, her own chapel. It was untouched by the bombs that decimated everything else. Following the destruction of 1940, the local diocese decided to merge several communities into a single parish, which is called St. Paul, and this became the diocesan sanctuary served by a rector and chaplains. Our Lady of Miracles is in the center of town. People come to pray there and light candles for various requests. And there are eight different processions which feature Our Lady of Miracles that occur each year, and they're based on various Marian festivals. The principal pilgrimages of the diocese are Our Lady of Bethlehem at Ferrier, Our Lady of Miracles at Orléans, which dates back to the 7th century, and Our Lady of Clary, which dates from the 13th century. It's interesting that several shrines of the French Black Madonnas have Joan of Arc associated with them. Mont Saint-Michel is one of them, and there are others. The Black Madonna is also featured often in many, many of her shrines with the Archangel Michael, which was one of the angelic inspirers of Joan. I think Our Lady of Miracles of Orléans, France, is truly a mysterious yet inspiring image. We do not know who made the first seated wooden image from black wood. And to my knowledge, the artist of the 16th century stone image is not named. Again, if anybody knows, I would love to know this information. So please share it with me. The city of Orléans is located on the Paris and Tours way of the Camino de Santiago. This path takes pilgrims from Paris to Orléans. There are numerous shrines and must-sees along this historic path. It's interesting to me that even though the Templars were not even invented when the first Black Madonna arrived with Syrian immigrants to Orléans, that this image was taken to a place along the Camino route. The Syrians have a long and detailed history with the founding and formation of Christianity from the earliest days of the Apostle Paul. The Dionysian monks were vital in the translation and formation of Christian documents, and they were based in Syria. These monks were so valued that even when the region of Syria was occupied by Islamic forces, the imams and sultans hired these monks to translate various documents such as Aristotle and Plato into Arabic. These documents were then retranslated back into Latin and Greek by the same order of monks during the Crusade and later the Renaissance. And these translations led to the cultural revolution and influenced the science that we know to our modern times. There are many streams of Christians which came from Syria with various and very interesting approaches to the mystery of Christ. 
and we owe the preservation of art in religious and secular settings to the famous Syrian John of Damascus. His influence on orthodox philosophy and dogma has stood the test of time. It is touching to me that the original Syrian immigrants to the Loire Valley in the 5th century, which was a time when Christian art was very rare, and the dogma of the Virgin Mary was just forming, these original immigrants brought along a black Madonna from their homeland. Tragically, Christians in the current region of Syria, as well as Iraq, are under terrible persecution. What little population that remains in Syria will be wiped out if the majority of the population who is Muslim comes into power. The Christians in this region support Assad because he protects them, but that is a terrible bargain. One can only wonder what these communities will look like in a generation. For now, we can be grateful for the contributions they have made in shaping Christianity and for the art which they helped to preserve and bring to the European continent. And all of this is wrapped up in Our Lady of Miracles. I hope you can visit the chapel of Our Lady of Miracles in Orléans, France. If I ever make it to that part of the world, that's one of my top list of must-see activities. So this is Stephanie Georgia saying thanks again to my Patreon supporters, my one-time donors, and all of you who like, subscribe, and share this podcast. I deeply appreciate your efforts. I hope the end of your May is beautiful. And until next time, this is Stephanie Georgiev wishing many blessings on your journey.